We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. We're at the midpoint, roughly, of the Buffalo Bills 2023 season, and today it is time to hand out some Buffalo Bills midseason awards. And on that note, Welcome, everybody, to Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much, as always, for locking in, whether you're listening to this via audio podcast form, whether you're watching this video on the YouTube side. Appreciate you all very, very much. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, all that stuff. It really helps us continue to grow this channel. Uh, Typically on these Wednesday shows, I do a a Buffalo Bills All-22 film breakdown after watching the coaches film and also uh, some PFF grades analysis. I typically, a day or so after the Bills play a game, pour through the film, pour through the grades, kind of come up with some thoughts and assessments based on watching those or reading the grades and uh, having some general thoughts as well as some overall big takeaways from that game. However, The Bills played last Thursday against Tampa. This is Wednesday. It feels like a lifetime ago, that game. So I'm kind of going to get away from that format this week, which plays perfectly into what we're doing today. And again, that's my Buffalo Bills midseason awards. Technically, if you want to be completely technical about it, the halfway point of the season would come Sunday night at halftime when they're playing the Bengals. But whatever, 17-game season. Odd number of games, eight is close enough. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, A couple quick things, and and then I'll get going. This is a solo episode, and I say this shit all the time, and then it never happens this way. But today is going to. This is not going to be a long episode. I promise you that. These awards represent the good, the bad, and the ugly from the Buffalo Bills through their first eight games. Again, roughly uh, halfway through the season. Real quick, though, before I get into today's episode, I want to let you know, I got a contest going on right now. This is an opportunity for everybody who's watching, everybody who's listening to the show right now. Uh, we got a prize pack giveaway going on. All you need to do to be eligible to win, go to Twitter, go to my Twitter handle, my Twitter page, at Patrick Moran TV, and you could have an opportunity to win 
our, our latest prize pack giveaway, which is a large pizza plus 20 wings from Macy's Place Pizzeria and Imperial Pizza and Sunny Reds. All three. Large pie, 20 wings from all three places. All you got to do is go to my tweet, which is pinned right at the very top of my page. You got to retweet it. And then you need to reply with a screenshot showing that you are subscribed to Talking Buffalo, whether it's via Apple or Spotify, either or. Simple as that. And again, an opportunity to win wings and pizza from three of the most elite places in Western New York. I didn't bother to look at what the normal price it is, but I guarantee you that this prize is valued at least $150, maybe even a little bit more than that. So anyway, a free opportunity for you guys to win some really cool stuff. And if you're watching and you're listening and you're not from Buffalo, if you win, you can get it to whoever you want who lives in the area. So somebody will 100% uh, get to enjoy that. One last thing too, just like when we do the All-22 and uh, PFF grade episodes that drop on Wednesday, want to let you know that I'm recording this late Monday night. In fact, Monday night slash into uh, Tuesday morning for a Wednesday drop. That's when I have my time slot to be able to do this specific uh, taping in this specific episode. I say that for one reason. As of now, as of this recording, there has been no trades involving the Buffalo Bills. The trade deadline is at 4 p.m. on Tuesday. I'm recording this ahead of that. So if something went down on Tuesday, is not being discussed on this podcast today. And that is the reason. Plus, to be fair, no matter what the Bills do, if they do anything on Tuesday, it didn't affect this premise for this episode, which again, is the Bills' midseason awards, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, going forward, a trade or move will certainly affect this team. Now, the Bills did sign running back uh, Leonard Fournette on Monday. Well, it's not official, but it's, it's going to happen to the practice squad. We'll see how that plays out. But anyway, not talking about that on today's show. There are no trades to talk about on today's show, and it doesn't affect the premise of it. However, if anything goes on or if anything doesn't go on, tomorrow's show, you bet your ass, we'll be talking about it. I got Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumblings. We're going to have a Bills-Bengals preview, a huge game, in my opinion anyway, the game of the year so far for the Buffalo Bills, and there'll be plenty more of those to come. So we'll talk about that. We'll get you set up for that game. And we'll also talk about any moves that the Bills made. Or if they didn't make any moves, we'll talk about that too. So that's on tomorrow's show. But as for today, like I said, again, this is my uh, Bills midseason awards. And I'm going to start right with probably what most would consider the biggest award. We're not going to save that for last. We're going we're to get it out of the way right now. And that's Bills uh, midseason MVP. I got to pull up my notes here. This is... um. I think a lot of people might disagree with this, but if you really think about it, I, I think it's a pretty clear cut choice. Relatively close, but for me, I'm going with Stefan Diggs. And some people are probably could take Josh Allen, and I, and I get why. Well, let me uh, quickly plead my case here for Stefan Diggs being the first half MVP. 64 catches, 748 yards, and six touchdowns already this season. The pace that he's on right now, and again, this isn't a small sample size anymore. We're like literally halfway through this season. He's on pace for 136 catches, 1,590 yards, 13 touchdowns, and 191 targets. All those numbers that I just said quite easily would be the best of his entire career. And he's right up there among the league right now 
among the leaders in, in all these categories. He's been one of the best wide receivers in the NFL this year. He has been the biggest reason why I'm giving him my Bills MVP right now at this point. He's been the most consistent player on the Buffalo Bills all season. I'll talk about Josh in just a second, but the short version of why I would choose Stefan over Josh right now through eight games, Stefan hasn't had a bad game. I mean, he's had a couple bad plays. He's had a couple drops that I'm sure he would like to have back, a couple little things here and there. But this guy has come to play every single week, and he has put up numbers and helped this team each and every single week. He has not been a detriment to the Bills, not once. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Stefan for my MVP. Runner-up is obviously going to be Josh Allen. Uh, when you look at the numbers, I mean, they're fantastic. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it because the Bills have had some very noted struggles in recent weeks. But overall for the season, Josh so far, 205 for 286, 71.7 completion percentage, which is the best in the NFL and obviously far and away the best of his career to this point. Uh, 2,165 yards, 17 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Obviously, you don't like to see that. And he's rushed for 189 yards, which is not all that much by his standards, but he has um, scored five times with his legs. His pace for this season, 4,600 yards on the dot, which would be a career high. I already talked about the 71.7% uh, completion percentage. That's easily the best of his career. Uh, he's on pace for 36 touchdown passes, which is just one off his career best. 17 picks, which would be his career worst. And uh, 49 total touchdowns, passing and rushing, which would be the best of his career. Josh Allen, and if it sounds funny to say that, and by the way, I also should throw this out there too. Josh Allen has been AFC Offensive Player of the Week twice already this season. In fact, he was AFC Offensive Player of the Week two times, I think, in three weeks, between weeks two and four. So number-wise, he's looked as good as ever. Maybe it doesn't seem like that to you, but he has. The reason why I can't put him ahead of Stefan right now is because there were two games where, I mean, Josh Allen was, was pretty bad. I'll say the New England game. He was mediocre. I don't want to say bad. I thought he was mediocre in the Patriots game. Uh, he, he was pretty shitty in the first half of the Jacksonville game. But that opener against the Jets, he was terrible. And we'll talk about that more in a few minutes here. I mean, he was probably, even though he's the best player on the Bills, the most important player on the Bills, I would say he was the biggest singular reason why the Bills lost that game opening night to uh the New York Jets. So kind of for that reason, and just because I just love the, the consistency that I've seen from Stefan from week one so far, I'm going with Diggs for uh, my team MVP. LVP, and like I said, these aren't all pretty awards. There's some ugly here too, some bad, some ugly. My LVP, um, you know, th there's not a lot of guys who have been terrible this season for the Bills. And I hate saying this. I hate picking the low-hanging fruit right now. I hate to kick a man when he's down, but for me, the LVP, when LVP standing for least valuable player, it's got to be Kyrie Elam. It has to be Kyrie Elam. He's inactive the first four games, and then Trey White tears his Achilles. Kyrie Elam, and also Dane Jackson gets hurt too the same week and misses the game in London. So Kyrie Elam goes from wearing a, um, street clothes on the sidelines the first month of the season which is really tough because he's your first round pick, which we all know your first round pick from 2022 is dressing up in street clothes the first month of the season. Anyway, 
you know, maybe opportunity knocks and he can rewrite his own story. Well, he goes to London, plays Jacksonville, gets cooked by Calvin Ridley, which to be fair, Calvin Ridley will cook a lot of corners out there, but plays bad enough, misses enough assignments, and he gets straight up benched. He gets benched. Then he doesn't start the next week because Dane Jackson is, is back and it's Dane Jackson and Christian Benford. And then I think to me, you know, the, the, the biggest telltale sign that is over for Kyrie Lam. At least I think it is as of now, as of this recording, is over for him. Um, Josh Norman, 36-year-old ass Josh Norman, who was chilling on a couch a handful of weeks ago, gets signed to the Bills practice squad within, what, two weeks? He gets elevated to the practice squad in plays, and Kyrie Lam is back to being inactive. Again, is Kyrie Lam the worst player on the Bills? Nah, he's not. But I said least valuable. Find me a player on this team that's been less valuable than Kyrie Elam. And I feel bad for him. He, he's a good kid, hard worker. I hope that he gets an oh, I, I I wish that he would get another opportunity for the Bills and show that he could do something, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think the writing was on the wall with Josh Norman. By the time you're listening to this, Kyrie Elam might not even be a Buffalo Bill anymore. Whether he is, whether he isn't, again, this is the midseason. And to me, Runaway winner, unfortunately, there's just been no one on this team less valuable than Kyrie Elam. It is a very, very disappointing um, two years, year and a half, whatever you want to call it, from a first-round pick. Quite frankly, Brandon Bean whiffed. And, and it's just, sometimes you got to take the L, man. You got to take the L, and, and that's what it appears to be, certainly, with Kyrie Elam. And it's certainly what happened through the first half of uh, this season. Runner-up, this ain't a player. So I don't even know who to give this to. I'm going to give LVP runner-up to whoever in the hell or whatever collection of people were responsible for that London trip. That was the wrong decision. Everybody knows you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a smart person to know the Buffalo Bills had no damn business upon reflection. You know, it's easy to be an armchair quarterback like we all are right now. Shit. When Tom Bucks and I did a live show on Imperial Pizza the Thursday of that week when the Bills played in London, I talked about an article Jay Skirsky wrote from the Buffalo News, you know, talking about the planning that went into this, all these little intricate details and sports science and all this stuff. And I praised it. I thought it was a great plan. Turns out it was a really stupid shit plan by the Bills organization. They should not have went to London freaking, what, 48 hours or so, 50 hours before the game. It should have been there at the beginning of the week. I have no doubt in my mind that that first half was so ugly and so bad because of the travel. It affected that game straight up. The Bills were not ready to play that football game whatsoever. I don't want to blame the injuries on the late travel. You know, that's more turf. That's a turf thing. That's a freak uh, accident type of thing with Jones and with Milano. But that aside, whoever was in charge uh, of planning the Bills uh, made the decision to go to London late in the week instead of early in the week. They deserve LVP. That's just a fucking terrible, terrible decision that cost them, in my opinion, it cost them a, a victory. So bad decision-making there. They're the uh, backup runner-up LVPs. Rookie of the year, if I would have taken this a couple weeks ago, it wouldn't have been him, but it is certainly now. And that's Dalton Kincaid. Um, 30 catches, 34 targets, and he's caught 30 catches. That's a really good ratio. 258 yards and a touchdown. Pretty much this has all come. He's been a factor now the last two games. 
uh, 13 catches for 140 yards and a touchdown over these last two. So back-to-back games, he's been uh, a key complementary piece to this offense, and uh, that's what you want to see. First-round pick, you want to see it. It's unfortunate that it took a Dawson Knox injury to really propel him into a bigger role than what he had. The first handful of games, it felt like he was just nothing but a little dump-off safety valve. But now he's starting to make athletic plays, scored a touchdown, a big touchdown against Tampa, made a beautiful tiptoe catch on the sideline against Tampa. Uh, he ran a slot, or a nice, really, really nice slant on the first play. I believe it might have been the first play of the third quarter for 19 yards. We're starting to see what, what we saw all summer long. When he had T-shirt and shorts on and just looked apart, running smooth, effortless, catching everything. We're starting to see that from Dalton Kincaid. And came on late enough to, to win this award because the runner-up for me is Osiris Torrance, probably based on the fact that he was your day one starting right guard. I mean, it was an open competition throughout training camp and uh, through the preseason. And I think the Bills, the coaching staff, uh, the front office, I think they wanted Osiris Torrance to beat out Ryan Bates. But still, at the end of the day, he had to go out there and earn it because they were not going to just hand, especially a rookie, a, a starting job on the offensive line. But he's been a day one starter. Uh, he's been pretty good. You know, he hasn't been great, but he's, he hasn't been shit either, which is always promising for a, a rookie lineman. Haven't heard all that much about him during games through the season, and we say it all the time, especially with the interior guys. If you're not hearing a guy's name often, that typically means he's playing pretty well. He's got 534 snaps so far this season. He's only given up one sack, 14 pressures. Uh, his PFF pass blocking grade, 62.2 for the season. Run grade, 61.4. Right around average. Maybe a little less than average. But again, you're, he's a day one starter. He's going to grow. He's going to get better. His ceiling looks real high. So pretty easy choice right now to give him uh, the runner up. going to do one more category here, and then we'll take a quick break. Most pleasant surprise, this might be the easiest, for me anyway, the uh, easiest of all these categories, and it's Terrell Bernard. It is definitely uh, Terrell Bernard. 46 tackles, two sacks, two interceptions, three fumble recoveries. Let me stop right there before I anything else. You know, he's got six tackles for a loss. He's got a team best, uh, 23 stops per PFF. A stop is when you have a, a tackle near the line or something that they'll deem an unsuccessful play from the offense. Anyway, he leads the defense in that. But the, the impact plays, the splash plays, forget about the tackles, the two sacks, the two picks, uh, the three fumble recoveries. These are just things that he does in middle linebacker that Tremaine Emmons, with respect to him, never did in Buffalo. Tremaine Emmons was a great athlete. He covered a lot of ground, made a lot of tackles, was a valuable part of this pass defense, did a lot of stuff that doesn't show up in box scores. So I'm not going to say Tremaine Emmons was some kind of bum. But I always said this. I want my middle linebacker to make some plays that matter. And Jermaine Emmons would go seasons, literally a full season, never having more than two sacks in a season, never having more than two interceptions in a season, never having more than two fumble recoveries in a season. And Terrell Bernard did that shit in like nine quarters. So the kid's a playmaker. He's around the football. He's like Milano in that sense. Some linebackers just seem to have a nose for fighting the football. And Terrell Bernard has been that guy. And this is ad nauseum. I'm sick of apologizing at this point, but since this is a midseason award episode, I feel like I need you right now. I need to apologize because I said throughout training camp, throughout preseason, that I thought Jerome Bernard was going to suck. 
And I, I, I thought it was laughable that he was the starting middle linebacker in week one after he didn't even play a snap in the preseason. And I said it over and over and over and over again. He never won the job, in my opinion. He didn't win the job over the summer. Tyrell Dodson lost a job. Dalen Spector lost a job. Jarrell Bernard kind of won it by default. And when the Bills signed Christian Kirksey uh, to their practice squad after Houston surprisingly at the time cut him, I'm like, all right, well, whatever, Jarrell Bernard, because Christian Kirksey is going to be your middle linebacker starting by week three. I said that multiple times. He retired. Jarrell Bernard has been the least, you know, the, the, this team has some leaks on offense and defense here and there. And he's not been perfect. I mean, he's his first-year starter, and you've seen it a couple times. Some coverage mistakes, a couple run-gap responsibility mistakes maybe. But all in all, what a hell of a first year. I mean, he's playing. And you know, maybe Mulatto doesn't get hurt. I'll, I'll go as far as to say this. Jerome Bernard, at least if the Bills can have a good second half, maybe win their division, and he continues to improve, put up a couple more splash plays. You're talking about a guy who might be a first-year starter who's – Flirting with the Pro Bowl. That's how good he's been. And I think he's really high, highly thought of around the league. You heard that last week on the broadcast on Thursday night, man. Um, what's his name? Who's the Kerb Hertree? He was pounding the table for Terrell Bernard, him and Al Michaels. So anyway, that's my most pleasant surprise the first half of the season. Uh, runner up, and there's a couple candidates, but for me, I went with Christian Benford. And I guess you have to go back to really appreciate him. You need to go back to the summer because again, all summer long, it was Trey White was your corner one. And that was, you know, no ifs, ands, and buts about it. He had worked his way to being healthy, looked really good. So he's your number one quarter. And it was a competition between the incumbent Dane Jackson, between your first round pick, Kyrie Lum, and between your sixth round pick from a year ago, Christian Benford. And Benford was kind of quiet throughout the summer, like Elam, because again, being the first round pick, you reported on him a lot. He'd have a really strong day, then he'd have a really shitty day. And every time he'd either, you would hear about it. Dane Jackson was that safety valve, you know, the blanket who you know he could start, you know you've seen before who he is, and you kind of know what Dane Jackson is. Christian Benford, though, quietly did his thing. And by the very end of preseason, won the starting job. So you got to go all the way back to the summer uh, for that. And he's been pretty good during the regular season. I don't think any Bills corner has really stood out. They only have one interception as a complete unit through eight games, and that's Trey White. Uh, so no picks, but he, he's not getting torched out there either. 20 receptions he's given up um, per PFF so far this season. And again, we're at that halfway point now. 20 catches he's given up only for 250 yards. In one touchdown. Now, I don't think the corners have been tested all that much. And that's certainly going to start changing in the second half when they're playing quarterbacks like Joe Burrow and Pat Mahomes and Dak Prescott and Jalen Hurts and, and Justin Herbert and Tua. Holy shit, are they playing some crazy talented uh, quarterbacks in this second half? But for, again, midseason, first half, Christian Benford to me has been a uh, real, real solid. Gonna take a quick break, come back, uh, unpleasant surprise, and a handful of more awards to go out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we are back, and I am handing out the Buffalo Bills midseason awards, good, bad, and ugly. With today's episode, quick reminder, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, please do so. If it's the audio side, make sure you're following us on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. YouTube side, like, comment, subscribe. It really continues to help us uh, grow this show here, this weekday daily show. Anyway, all right, let's continue here. My unpleasant surprise, first half of the season, Dawson Knox by a mile, uh, 27 targets through the halfway point of the year. Just 15 catches for 102 yards and one touchdown. Seven games, 15 catches, 102 yards, one touchdown. Terrible production and some terrible, untimely key drops for the Bills already this season. Three, right off the top of my head that I can think of that were big. You go back to the opener against the New York Jets, first possession of overtime. Josh Allen throws a pass. It's low. It, it should have been a better throw for sure, but it hits him in both hands. As he falls to the ground, doesn't make the catch. That was the Bills' lone possession in overtime. Um, what were the other two? I'm trying to think off the top of my head now. The Giants game. Uh, late in the game, big drop. It could have put the game away. Again, another low throw from Josh, but one that he got both his hands on, falls to the ground, doesn't come up with the catch. Fourth and two, a very crucial fourth down against New England and Foxborough. Balls him in the hands. Bad position. The guy from New England puts his helmet on the ball. Knocks it out. Yeah, bolt his hand on the ball. You got to break it down. These are plays that I feel like over the last couple of years, Dawson Knox makes. Dawson Knox got a big contract. And he didn't get a big contract because he's a bum. Got a big contract because he's been a solid contributor to the Buffalo Bills over the last couple of years. But it has not been the case this year. He has struggled right out the gate. Then he has wrist injury, which I don't know how long he had that for. I don't know how much it affected him. Now he's had surgery. He'll be out still an undetermined length of time. But again, only just not a good year. I'm looking at the, the yak, which is yards after catch, only 62 for the season. His long catch for the year is just 15 yards. And maybe the worst part with Dawson Knox is if nothing else, he's been a solid run blocker, but not this year. Per PFF, 49.0 PFF run block grade, which is easily uh, the worst of his career. So a very... Very unpleasant surprise right now for the Buffalo Bills has been the play of Dawson Knox. Hopefully he gets back from his wrist surgery, maybe in a handful of weeks, and he can come back and he can uh, get back to being 2022-2021 Dawson Knox. And maybe the Bills could better utilize that 12 personnel that they were hoping to that just flat out isn't as good as the uh, three wide receiver set that we've seen uh, Thursday in Tampa Bay. That's the best Bills offense. And I won't hear otherwise. But anyway, hopefully Dawson Knox could do more because he ain't do shit the first half of the season. Runner up, speaking of not doing shit, 
I thought this was going to be a great signing. And again, to be fair, halfway point, he might get more opportunities. He might turn it around. But Puna Ford, man, Puna Ford has done nothing for the Buffalo Bills. And we're halfway through the season right now. This was a, a signing. I thought this was a huge low-key signing that would really pay off for the Bills, that this guy was going to come in and be strong, solid death behind Daquan Jones. And we all know what happened with Daquan. Well, Puna's had some opportunities. He was inactive uh, for most of the first month. I think he was only active once in the first month. But anyway, he's had an opportunity now for a couple games with Daquan out and, and Ed Oliver out in Foxborough. And Puna Ford has basically done nothing, nothing. Played 95 snaps this year, and he's done absolutely nothing with them. Only three quarterback hurries, no sacks, no big tackles for a loss, no big tackles for the line, no third down stops, no factor in the running game uh, whatsoever. Maybe he'll turn shit around, but right now he's my runner-up for uh, most unpleasant surprise because I expected a lot more from Puna Ford. And the opportunity's been there, and he hasn't taken advantage. Uh, unsung hero. Tell you what, I'm going to go with Spencer Brown here. He's my unsung hero because, you know, we talked about Terrell Bernard earlier. To me, all offseason, we talked about middle linebacker being the big sore spot on the Buffalo Bills because they lose Jermaine. They do nothing to, to bring anybody in. And also, Brandon Bean essentially handed the starting right tackle job right back to Spencer Brown. No offseason signings, nobody in the draft, no real competition to push him. They re-signed freaking David Quisenberry, who ultimately got cut. So it was easy street for Spencer Brown to keep his job. But here's the thing. Spencer Brown has earned his keep through the first eight games of the season. He's been a pretty solid starter. 71.1 run block grade per, per PFF, 69.0 pass block grade. His run block uh, grade is actually the highest among all offensive linemen on the team. He's only given up one sack, uh, 12 hurries. He's been credited against. I'll tell you, man, he's played some against some really good defensive ends this year. I remember in the early part of the season where I was scared shitless after the Bills lost to the Jets and the Jets just decimated the Bills' offensive line and the offense in general. I remember they're going against Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Then the next game, or actually that was week three. Week two was um, Crosby, Max Crosby. I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm just, they might wreck this game. Spencer Brown has done a very solid job. He's been pretty good. He's not the whipping boy that I thought he was going to be. Guys aren't just running through him or running around him and crushing Josh Allen. I think he's played very well. So to me, and I didn't expect that. So that is without question, you know, he, he's an unsung guy right now because we're talking about, you know, some of the success stories with the Bills, Diggs and Allen and some of these defensive guys and Dalton KK starting to step up. But I'll tell you, Spencer Brown playing right tackle has done a pretty damn good job. I, I feel like he's been an unsung hero on this team. And then my runner up there, I got Leonard Floyd. You know, I just, I went basted the Puna Ford signing, thinking that was going to be a, a significant low-key late-in-the-game uh, addition, and it's not. Leonard Floyd was signed right around the same time, and he was. He's been a huge, huge difference for the Bills. Six and a half sacks, which is the most on the team. He's had eight hurries. Kind of gets to the quarterback. And other than, uh, was it the Mac Jones? I think it was Mac Jones. Where he had him by the neck and he just let him go. Or maybe it was Baker Mayfield. I know he had one really bad whiff recently. But that aside, Leonard Floyd is, has been really good. And he's kind of been, to me, you know, the, the Vaughn Miller, like, replacement. I thought the plan was going to be he gets on the field. 
you know, he, he does well early. Vaughn kind of gets going a little bit. And then you'll see Leonard Floyd kind of get his, his workload reduced. And that still might happen if Vaughn can completely ramp it up. But I'll tell you, from what I've seen the first half of the season, this is a guy who belongs on the field. Because when you want to rush the passer, I know you got Vaughn, and I know you also got Greg Rizzo, but I think Leonard Floyd's one of your two best pass rushers on this team right now. So when you need a key stop, you need a key sack, you need to get after the quarterback, especially if you got the lead, you want to pin your ears back and get after somebody, I want Leonard Floyd out there right now. He's been really good. So anyway, he, he's my runner-up for Unsung Hero. Uh, plays, individual things. Best play of the year. This was pretty easy for me. It's the Stefan Diggs touchdown against Miami. The Bills are on their own 45-yard line. I'm sure you all remember this, hopefully very fondly. Takes a pass down the left sideline from Josh Allen. And then uh, Cater Cahoe, who had, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, whatever his name is, had one of the worst games from a cornerback that you'll ever see in an NFL game. Anyway, it was him and Brandon Jones. It both looked like they had Stefan down. But Stefan refused to go down, spun around, Went down the sideline, bam, 55-yard touchdown. Uh, the Bills go up 28-14 at that point, and they never look back. That was a big, big play, the, the best play, I think, anyway, of the entire first half of the season. And then the runner-up, I'm going to go with, and there's lots of plays that I could choose from, but I'm going to go with Josh Allen's touchdown pass to Quinn and Morris against the Giants. And this was a game where they just couldn't sustain shit on offense. Bad penalties, whatever mistake, a drop, something it would be that would just uh, allow them to not come away with points. But on this particular play, Josh Allen, you know, did Josh Allen shit, man. He he scrambled. He was kind of lateral and threw like an impossible looking pass that him and maybe Mahomes are the only two quarterbacks in the NFL that can make this play. And Quinton Morris, who got hurt on that play and has missed the last two games actually because of that, Basically hauled the ball in between two defenders, again, on a pinpoint perfect pass from Josh. One leg, Quinn and Morris, hauls it in. Bills go up. It's their second touchdown. They go up 14-9, and they literally barely uh, held on to win. So not only was that one of the most important plays of the season, it was one of the best. So Josh Allen, touchdown pass to Quinn and Morris against the Giants. Uh, worst play of the year, you just saw it. Four or five days ago, whatever it is, six days now when this drops. Oh, I, I get mad thinking about it. I'm talking about Jordan Phillips. That face mask against Tampa. All right, so it's fourth down and eight. And this was after Tampa already got stopped on a fourth down. And Teron Johnson got called for a defensive hold. And Tampa got new life. They forced him to another fourth down. This time it's fourth and eight. They're on the Bills 39. There's like 311 left in the game. Mayfield rolls out a little bit to the left. Jordan Phillips, who is, if nothing else, good at penetrating in the pocket in the pass rush, gets through, gets a hold of Baker Mayfield, has him, and as he's getting ready to put him down, because he didn't put him down quick enough, and the referees did not blow their whistle fast enough, which, to be fair, because there's a lot of Bills fans that blame that entire play on the refs not blowing the whistle. Yes, the refs should have blown the whistle quicker. I mean, you're trying to protect the quarterback. I get that. I don't give a shit, man. Jordan Phillips is what, 300, 305 pounds, something along those lines. He's got Baker Mayfield wrapped up in his paws. Couldn't get him down. Finally starts to get the momentum. Grabs his face mask. And there was no 
mistake about it. It wasn't one of those bang, bang penalties like Teron Johnson's hole where it could go either way. This was an obvious, easy call. When you have a sack on fourth down, the drive is over, the game is over, and Jordan Phillips grabs his face mask. It's one of the dumbest penalties I've ever can recall seeing in my life. And maybe I have a little bit of recency bias right now. And if I think hard enough, I could come up with worse penalties. But that's going to be near the top of any list. I guarantee you, because he had him sacked. A defensive tackle has the guy sacked and still grabs his face mask on the way down. Tampa goes down to score. Almost won the game. You know, all the shit that happened at the end of the game, all the stuff, none of this is even being discussed if Jordan Phillips doesn't grab his face mask. He doesn't do that. The Bills win by two touchdowns. We don't have to hear shit about Sean McDermott punting twice on fourth and two in Tampa territory. We don't have to hear about how the Bills barely held on. Could have lost the game. We'll say could have lost the game if Chris Godwin has an opportunity. I don't blame him, but if he had an opportunity to look up, Bills probably lose that game. Should have never came down to that. It came down to that because of Jordan Phillips. Look, I could ran on this for a freaking half hour, so I'll move on. That's the worst play. And then my runner-up, uh, Josh, you're going to hear, you have heard the name Josh Allen a lot, and for good reason. He's goddamn quarterback. But anyway, runner-up for worst play of uh, the season. I could pick a lot of them, but this one, the interception. Very first offensive play for the Bills in Foxborough. New England comes down. They score. They fail a little bit of life. But you're like, all right, man, the Bills just can take the ball, go right back down the field. They're going to score and say, like, all right, the, you know, we're the better team. Here we go. This is our day. Anyway, first pass, Josh Allen, a horrible decision, horrible telegraph throw, easy interception. And for me, that immediately at that point on really set the tone uh, for the rest of the game. It gave what I thought, even if they scored the first touchdown, to me, it was still a lifeless, a hapless New England Patriots team, a team that Josh Allen has owned in recent years. It gave a, a deadbeat team new life. And I think it was a huge contributing factor, even though. The Bills were in the lead late. I get all that. But still, you feel like if the Bills come down, they score early, they make a statement, maybe the Bills beat the shit out of them, and it doesn't come down to no fourth quarters, you know, last five minutes of uh, of the game. So, you know, as great as Josh has been, he's had a handful of plays that he'd like to have back, and that was, to me, maybe the biggest uh, of all of them. <laughs> Sticking right back on him, and now here we go. Best individual performance was Josh Allen against the Miami Dolphins in week four, 21 to 25, 320 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, no interceptable balls thrown that game either. He also added a touchdown run with that beautiful ball flip as he crossed the end zone. That shit was sweet. And he won AFC Offensive Player of the Week. So for me, that's a pretty easy choice. Staying with that game because it was far and away their most important win of the season to point to this point anyway. Um, Runner-up is Stefan Diggs against Miami. We talked about the play where he broke off two tackles for the touchdown. Six catches that game for 120 yards. A tie to career best with three touchdowns, again, including the, the memorable one that I described earlier. So that's my best um, play, or not best play, best game by an individual player of the season. Worst individual performance. Sound like a broken record because I keep going back to the quarterback. But for me... Number one, Josh Allen, season opener against the Jets. 29 to 41 for 236, which is eh, one touchdown, three interceptions. He also lost a fumble, single-handedly accounted for four turnovers. And you can make a very strong case that all four turnovers 
were 100% on Josh. Josh Allen that night was straight up outplayed by Zach Wilson coming off the bench without any starter reps at practice for training camp or the preseason. It was a nightmare game for Josh Allen, littered with big mistakes. And every time he made a big mistake, it would end up costing the Bills. And of course, ultimately, they lost that game. So that's the worst individual performance of the halfway point in the season. Runner-up, I got a three-way tie. I'm going to go back to the New England game one more time. And I said a three-way tie because to me, it's Jordan Phillips, it's Puna Ford, and it's Tim Settle. All three of those guys. Daquan Jones is out. Ed Oliver had to miss that game because of a sore foot. You're playing the freaking lowly-ass Patriots. And all three defensive tackles have a chance, a great opportunity to have an impactful game. None of them did shit. None of them. Patriots had 364 total yards, uh, 6.6 yards per play. Good God, that is a crazy number. Matt Jones, scrubby-ass Matt Jones. You watch Matt Jones play any other game this year? He is doo-doo. Doo-doo. But he wasn't doo-doo against the Bills, man. Sack just one time, played really good. Uh, the defensive tackle presence, we really learned that game. Because they got by against the Giants after losing to Quan. He got hurt in London. And we they got by against the Giants. But they they lost against the Patriots. And I'm telling you right now, I can make a case. Lots of guys on defense took the day off. But none so more than that defensive tackle group, man. None of them made a single play that entire game. Not one. Uh, last two here. Worst development. And then, you know, kind of speaking on this throughout this episode here and there, but this is an obvious one. The worst development is uh, the injuries. You know, Trey White, the first, you know, through training camp, nobody suffered a significant injury. And there's lots of injuries. You know, 32 teams had major injuries, but it just seemed like the Bills early on were getting lucky. Nothing significant at camp. Jerrell Bernard pulled the hamstring, had to miss preseason. Didn't affect him going into the season. And then the first three, Regular season game, some bumps and bruises, but nothing, you know, significant. And then you go to the Miami game and they win. And it's late in the game when they're beating Miami and the Bills are on a high and the fans are on a high. Trey White tears his Achilles. Just an awful sight to see. That's tough to stomach and that's tough to replace. But man, you still, you know, you got the, the crafty veteran in Dave Jackson. He could step in with Benford and, you know, you don't feel like all's lost. But then, of course, the following week, in London, and before the first goddamn quarter's even over, first Daquan Jones goes down, which, by the way, tears his pack. Of course he tore it on a third down stop that forced a punt. Just, it symbolized how great he's been this year. And he has. And which, by the way, I, I get this gut feeling that if he stayed healthy, and Bilotto stayed healthy, we might be having a different midseason award type of conversation and tone right now. But anyway, Daquan goes down with the pack. Plays later, drive one drive later, Matt Milano, of course, the biggest one of all, his leg, his knee, combination, whatever. Guys are gone. The injuries just decimating them. And then that New England game, so you're already missing them. And as I just talked about with the shit job that the defensive tackles did at Oliver, him being out that game was a big, 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 big factor in the Patriots having more success on offense and ultimately uh, winning that game. So that's the obvious one, the injuries. Um, runner up and, and it's not a big deal. You know, I'm really, I say worst development, not a big deal at all, but I had to come up with something for a runner up. 
And the best I could do was muster up uh, Tyler Bass missing three straight field goals or three field goals in two games, I should say. Not three straight, but three field goals in two games. Maybe that has me, I don't say worried, but maybe a little bit less confident right now in him. Although, overall, I, I still trust him. If that makes any sense, and it doesn't make much sense. So I'm coming up with some. I'm really, I'm freaking reaching for a backup for a runner up when it comes to uh, worst development because the injuries just absolutely dominate that category. And then I'm going to end with this one. This is my last one best under the radar development. And I'm going to tell you, this is surprising because if you would have told me that I'm Kyrie Lim's a bust, he's not playing, didn't get it done, didn't take advantage of an opportunity. Got scratch, healthy scratch in favor of dinosaur Josh Norman. No disrespect to him personally. You know, good for him. He had a couple special teams tackles. Oh, he plays well if he keeps getting opportunities. But anyway, just a bust. Let's just call it what it is, okay? You had told me that, but then said a positive under the radar, you know, development in a good way would be the draft class that your first round picks a bust in. Like, huh? If you really think about it, so Kyrie Elam's your first-round pick, and he's done nothing. But look at the rest of that class. James Cook was your second-round pick, and he has been good this year. He's your number one back. I like him. I think he's better than Devin Singletary's been for the last couple of years, and I hope maybe in the second half of the season we'll see him turn it on even more. So I like James Cook. He's been really good. We talked about Terrell Bernard. There's your third-round pick from that 2022 class. God, where would this Bills defense be right now if Terrell Bernard suffered a significant injury or if he wasn't what he's been and you had to go with Tyrell Dotson as your starting Mike Linebacker for this whole season? That would be pretty ugly, wouldn't it? Yes. So anyway, Terrell Bernard, James Cook, Khalil Shakir has really come on. I mean, that slot receiver position didn't really pretty much nothing early on, but these last two weeks, Shakir's been good. Six catches for 92 yards against Tampa. Hopefully that's a sign of things to come them using that position more. He's an effective little player. And then uh, who's the other? Oh, Christian Benford. Christian Benford. He's your starting quarter right now. He's your number one quarter on this team right now. And he was a six-round pick. So you could cast Elam to the side. And you still have Cook, Bernard, Shakir, and Christian Benford. That is looking like, you know, for Brandon being all the shit he's going to get and deserved for missing as badly as it seems like he's missed uh, Kyrie Elam. Brandon Bean's actually knocked that shit out of the park in the 2022 draft because of Cook, Bernard, Shakir, and Bedford. And who knows? Maybe you get a little something from Balen Spector down the road uh, as well. Runner-up for best under-the-radar development. Should have mentioned him at some point, but I saved it for last. I think A.J. Epinesa. I think he's been a great under-the-radar uh, development this year. Thought that maybe he might be the one who would get traded before the season. It turns out to be Boogie Basham. And again, Brandon Bean certainly made the right call because A.J. Vanessa has been great this year. Really, really good. Five sacks. He has a pick six. Uh, he's played some really great stretches. And to this day, halfway through the season, a defensive end, A.J. Vanessa leads this team with six passes defended. He's been really good. Hopefully he could turn it up. He's going to have to turn it up because if the Bills are going to have any success when it matters, they're going to have to score an offense, and they're going to have to pressure and get after the quarterback. And A.J. Vanessa has and will continue to play a very large uh, role there. All right, so there you go. That, that's it for uh, 
this Buffalo Bills midseason awards episode. One more time, if you haven't done so already, go to my Twitter at Patrick Moran TV, uh, retweet the pin tweet at the top, reply with a screenshot showing that you're subscribed on Apple or Spotify, an opportunity for you to win uh, pizza and wings from three of Western New York's best spots. Um, what do I got going on tomorrow again? <laughs> Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumleys is joining me. Bills Bengals preview, and we will definitely, whether the Bills make moves or not, we will be covering that on uh, Thursday's episode. So till then. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.